Good morning. It's Friday, May 27th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. I'm your host, Chris Hummer, and today we're talking about scholarship changes in college football. Yeah, I can hear your yawn from here, but I promise these rule changes will alter the way the sport operates. Last week, the NCAA announced that for the next two seasons, it will lift per cycle scholarship caps. Where once schools were limited to 25 initial counters a cycle, now teams can sign an infinite number of players to get up to the 85 scholarship maximum. That means we'll no longer see situations like Kansas when David Beatty took over a program in 2014 with just 38 scholarship players. LSU played the bowl game this year with around 38 scholarship players. That will be a thing of the past. But the impact of this shift will go well beyond avoiding situations like those. To discuss how the change will impact roster construction, we're joined by 24-7 sports national analyst Cooper Patagna. Cooper is uniquely qualified to talk about this. Before he joined 24-7 sports, he spent time in the player personnel departments at LSU, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington. He's been both the director of recruiting and a director of player personnel on the Power 5 level. So that's more than enough for me. Let's talk to Cooper. Cooper, I thought we could attack these rule changes from a couple of different angles. But first, I just want to know what your initial reaction was when the NCAA announced that this per cap initial counter rule would be lifted for the next two seasons. Well, I think immediately, you know, I thought about the the teams that I kind of quickly mentioned in, in your article that you had me featured in uh, right after this news broke and, you know, thought of the first year head coaches out there and, and a lot of the ones that have been aggressive this offseason in terms of their approach via the transfer portal. But really, in terms of like looking at teams at USC, LSU, Miami, so on and so forth. But to me, that's just more of an accelerated path for coaches now in year one to be able to flip a roster uh, and, and really kind of go forward on an accelerated rebuild. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely get to some of the coaches that can take advantage of that. And seemingly, it feels like an anticipation of this rule change of taking advantage of that. But first, I wanted to ask about the schools that had to deal with massive scholarship deficits. I talked at the beginning of this podcast about Kansas. Um, I think David Beatty was famously at 38 scholarships when he took over in 2014 out of the maximum 85 year allowed. Um, you've been in this player personnel space for a long time. Um, You're just now on the media side of things. Just how difficult is it to try and build a roster when you don't have full access to the scholarship allotment you're supposed to have due to things that were out of your control from previous staffs or previous coaches or what have you? It's incredibly difficult. And and really what it does is, you know, it it continues to shrink the margin of error that you and, and your staff have to operate with. So in terms of being concise in the evaluation process. I think there's so much you, you know, more time invested in being able to get that right in terms of the quality of player that you're going to bring in and whether or not they're going to be invested in your program. And now in the transfer portal age, that's more difficult. Even if you have a really good pulse on a player, the individual uh, feel really good about the fit. You know, you have to be open to the idea that there are going to be some unexpected exits uh, out of your program as well. So it's extremely difficult. Obviously, the the scholarship count that you're allowed is is 85 uh, scholarships on a roster. There was a study a couple years back. A friend of mine, Matt Lindsay, did. He used to be general manager at Ole Miss and used to work with Will Muschamp at, at South Carolina. But basically, what they found was there's anywhere from about 53 to 57 players uh, that they would play throughout the year. Um, now that being said, roster attrition obviously cuts into depth. I, I, I know there's a lot of times getting in late into the season, really into late November, uh, a little bit of early December, 
that's when it's really going to be critical and really important in terms of the depth piece, in terms of the scholarship piece as well. So obviously you want to operate at a full capacity at 85, anything below that, you definitely feel it on Saturdays. Can you speak to like in a little more specific terms about how you get into that scholarship hole in the first place? I I think people hear 25 and they hear 85 and they think if you side 25 a cycle every four years, you're going to have a hundred. But can you can you kind of explain how transfers add into that, how attrition adds into that, how medical retirements add into that? And that 25 can pretty quickly shrink to 10 or 15 just two years later sometimes. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of like a balance sheet. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes to, to roster management, Chris Peterson, you know, during my time at the University of Washington was somebody that you know, I really learned from on the roster management standpoint. And before that, I didn't really have a lot of experience, but, you know, he was so diligent uh, about thinking two to three years ahead when, you know, often a lot of times it's really difficult for a lot of coaches to think months ahead or, or 12 months uh, ahead of schedule. But in terms of balancing a roster and understanding roster attrition, I think you can find yourself, like you said, there in a lot of ways. If you're not balancing classes, you know, there were classes that we ended up having to take two or three transfers just to be able to get those numbers back. Uh, so a year later, we could take more. So I think between, you know, obviously the the transfers and between the, the medical dismissals as well, I think all those kind of account for it. And you got to be careful but because before you know it, you could be in a situation where it's getting a little bit of tight. And then all of a sudden you have limitations in terms of what you can bring into your team. You mentioned earlier um, about USC being an example of a school that could really benefit for something like that. How much more flexibility do schools have now to flip a roster? I think that their accessibility to an accelerated rebuild now, I would say, flips pretty dramatically in terms of what you what you be able to do uh, in terms of the players that uh, you're able to to bring in in you know over the over the next two cycles. And I say that because uh, now these teams are are able to address needs through multiple classes, right? We just talked about that during my time at the University of Washington. I think that the teams also have to be very careful uh, during this point, but this is a great opportunity for some programs, like you mentioned, Kansas, who have been in some very difficult positions now over the next two years to kind of rebalance themselves out, balance their classes out, and really kind of aim to try to get back to that initial 25 counter by the time maybe this is you know lifted in two years. That way they can they can balance a full roster of 85. But I would say, you know, uh, mentioning USC, mentioning LSU, mentioning uh, Miami, the number of players and scholarships now that they can take in, I mean, over the next two years, there's this window of an opportunity to get it right. Now they got to be, they got to keep the future, not only the short term, they got to balance the long term with that as well, uh, or they could be in a really sticky situation if they're not careful in three, four years from now. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good time to ask this. Right now, you can get to 85 as quickly as you want. And I think the anticipation, just talking to people around the sport, is that this rule change will become permanent. Because once you open this up, it's difficult to put every the toothpaste back in the tube, if you will. But how careful do schools have to be the next two years just in case the NCAA decides to reverse course and they might go back to that 25 uh, initial? I mean, very careful, right? I mean, you can find yourself in the, in, the, in the same situation or a situation like Kansas. And now, you know, it's just an uphill battle and you have to be extremely meticulous with your process and, and in terms of getting back to that initial 85. And a lot of times it's never going to be perfect, but there, there's certain ways that you can do that. I think a lot of schools though, I mean, you you would be surprised how many programs 
you know, in, in terms of roster management, don't have a three to four year outlook on their roster and how many programs are trying to microwave and sacrificing their long-term future for short-term gains. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here maybe three to four years from now. And if the NCAA does go forward and this only ends up being a two-year period where they choose not to enforce the 25 initial counters, I mean, we could very well be back here having the same conversation, talking about a lot of programs uh, who did not do this the right way over the next 24 months. We'll be right back with more from Cooper right after this break. How do you anticipate this change impacting the bottom of rosters? That's a great question. You know, I was kind of thinking about that the other day when when you wrote your article. I called around to a couple of friends of mine in the industry and, and to to kind of get their initial thought on that. You know, I, I kind of look at some of the blue bloods uh, around the country and some of the more uh, aggressive, I would say, roster builders, if you want to put it that way. But <laughs> you know, University of Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M certainly comes to mind. They've they've done an exceptional job, obviously, over the last couple years, but. You know, I think what this is going to continue to do is there's going to be a shorter leash on players internally and in terms of being able to maybe flip a roster where a guy's not going to have as long as a leash uh, to prove themselves at some of these places at some of the, the, the programs that we've talked about. And that being said, you know, the, the market is now going to be open over the next two years for Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, and those are the three programs, ironically enough, that finished top three in the recruiting rankings last year to go ahead and take advantage of this. You know, so I think what it's going to do, there's also going to be the way, you can look at it a couple of different ways. I mean, the rich will get richer, but there's going to be a lot of really talented players via the transfer portal, I believe, that are probably going to get pushed out a little bit earlier uh, than, than they ever originally thought. Uh, maybe in the process. And what that's going to do, now those players are going to hit the open market. And to me, that's going to be a really important opportunity for a lot of middle market teams. We looked at Arkansas last year, right? Like they go out, they get Jaden Hazelwood from Oklahoma, former five-star. They go get Drew Sanders, a former five-stars. They're not acquiring that talent at the high school level, but they are being able to, because of, of what they've established under Sam Pittman and their culture, they're able to attract talent like that via the transfer portal. So to me, I think that middle market is certainly going to be in an area to to capitalize on an opportunity like that. I think it'll be interesting. I had I had one uh, Power 5 director of player personnel speculate to me that the transfer portal could be easily 5,000 FBS kids by this time next year because of the combination of schools aggressively pushing kids out and also kids looking for opportunities at those bigger programs trying to hop up. And FCS schools also losing a lot of guys because FBS programs have more spots to fill. So the transfer portal has been crazy as it is, and it, it could get even crazier for sure. Quickly, we saw 407 fewer high school recruits sign with FES schools in 2021 than we did in 2020, and 456 fewer in 2021 compared to 2019. Do you see this rule change bringing those high school numbers back to a more familiar level in terms of uh, signings? That's a great question. And and honestly, not a number that I was aware of. You know, I think initially, yes, uh, but I don't think that's going to be the the answer completely, if that makes sense. I, I, I do think that will cut into that number. That's that's a pretty whopping number at 400 plus. But in terms of that kind of, you know, bringing that back to a place that it was two years ago, I, I, don't, I don't see that. I do think the transfer portal is still going to have the same type of impact that it's had. Uh, I mean, you talk about, you know, potentially the conversations that you had of, of 5,000 prospects being in the transfer portal. I mean, that's crazy. And not all these guys are going to be able to find a home 
you know, or, or the market's not going to be as hot as they originally thought it is. So I do think that's going to be a number to monitor as, you know, this is definitely something I think not just me and you, but this is a lot of what a lot of coaches and a lot of programs have their eyes on as well. Yeah. And for context in the portal, um, as of Thursday, we are at 2950 in the transfer portal. So that 5,000 number is talking about like an extra 2000 FBS players entering the portal um, in one cycle. And that, that was just one person's opinion, but it, it could get crazy quickly on this. But how will this affect walk-ons in your opinion? You know, I was thinking about that when we were talking about before the show, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how much, um, right. Because you still got to get to your 120 at the end of the day. Um, you know, so there's still that extra buffer of, of players that you have. I, I, I mean, I do think in certain situations, you know, maybe that access to the field or that access to, to playing time is not going to be as ready available, even if it's earned as it has been in the past. Now that you talked about it, and I think in a lot of ways, like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, there are going to be a lot of teams trying to capitalize on getting their roster to a healthy and full and very talented 85. So I don't know, but we could be sitting here in a situation two years from now where those guys are going to be critically important to a team and their success in the future as well, if not handled correctly. I've had a couple of people speculate that this rule change, while subtle, um, if it goes on for longer than two years, could totally change the sport because of the movement that we'll see and the ability for teams at the top of the sport to essentially um, cannibalize um, some of the rosters of smaller schools just because of the amount of flexibility that you have to sign every cycle. Do you think the people talking to me and telling me that are overstating that in your opinion? Like, How much of an impact do you see this rule change having on the sport as a whole moving forward? I think it could be huge, honestly, right? I mean, you're talking about potentially, you know, wiping away the 25 initial counters. And, you know, like we were talking before the show, I mean, it's it's a lot more difficult to manage a roster of 85 than it is at 53 at the NFL level, right? But, you know, I can't imagine. And then the level of resources that go into that as well, right? Being able to manage it in 85 year to year. Um, I think the attrition rate, I think the the level, not only the level of attrition, but the frequency of it as well. I mean, I think more resources are going to have to be invested in terms of college football in ways of, of programs outside of Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M, who I think are positioned better than anybody in college football to pivot. It's not really them that I'm thinking about. It's it's other programs where this is going to be a lot more difficult in terms of being able to, to right the ship and kind of move with such a drastic change. You know, I don't want to overstate it, but yeah, I, I would say that this would have potentially a huge impact on college football if it were to exist past those two years. Before I let you go, you have a column every week at 24-7 Sports called Coop's Corner. I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand at the top of your corner and speak <laughs> for all your player personnel brethren out there. Um, this was a pretty common sense rule change, according to a lot of people that I talked to. What other things would you like to see shift in terms of player personnel management? You know, that's a that's a great question. You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, like I, I think to myself, I was always one of those guys who was just kind of, you know, I, I take it as it comes in, in, in terms of the roster management, always trying to learn. And then for me, in terms of my philosophy, it was always kind of surround myself with smarter people than myself. I always enjoyed, you know, building a board. And, you know, I had guys like Thomas Aarons at Oregon who were just wizards when it came to, to roster management and that type of stuff. But I don't know, you know, I think that I think the 85 would be in terms as like, if this goes on past the two years would, would certainly be fascinating. You know, I think it's just more of an education, right? Me and you are sitting here having a conversation about this. And I think if you talk to, to a lot of personnel guys around the country, 
this is still an area where there needs to be a lot more time, a lot more discussion focused on these type of topics and how coaches and programs can most efficiently navigate to put their team in the best situation to be successful. And I think a lot of times when it comes to roster management, a lot of teams find themselves in very difficult situations. I mean, we looked at LSU last year. How many players did they have healthy or 39 scholarship players in the Texas Bowl, which is crazy to, to even think about it at a place like LSU. So to me, I just think there has to be some level of continuity. And I think there has to be a better job, not by the NCAA, but by the peers uh, and the people in college football to make people and to make staffs more aware of some of the consequences of the decisions that they'll make, not only in the short term, but in the long term as well. Well, hey, uh, Cooper, thanks so much for joining us on the College Football Daily. Uh, For Lance Glenn, our producer, and myself, thanks for everybody for taking the time to listen. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review. Talk to you all soon.